If you have a Rogers or Bell phone plan, beware the two telecom giants are gifting Canadians with a rate hike in 2024. Alberta Premier Daniel Smith has had enough with Federal Environment Minister Stephen Dubot. A True North exclusive reveals Canada's foreign policy is of little significance to the Middle East, according to a new Israeli survey. Hello Canada, it's Monday, January 8th. And this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Cosmin Georgia. And I'm Lindsay Shepard. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. Canadians with Rogers and Bell wireless phone plans are gifted this new year with a rate hike despite the Trudeau government's promise to lower rates in 2019. Rogers confirmed the impending price hikes to CBC News Wednesday, with a similar move anticipated from Bell in February. The price adjustments by Rogers will affect certain wireless phone and internet plans, including those under its subsidiary Fido. Customers who don't have fixed-price contracts are the primary targets for these increases. While many will see a price hike under $7, it could go as high as $9 per month depending on individual plans or bundles. These changes are set to be reflected in bills issued after January 17th. Bell is reportedly following suit with price increases in February. According to a report by Mobile Syrup, several Bell customers have reported notifications of upcoming bill increases, confirming the trend of rising costs. The CRTC, which regulates telecom companies, told True North it is aware of the announcement and is prioritizing work to help Canadians have more choices in affordable wireless plans. The organization said it recently established rules to encourage wireless providers to expand services across Canada, aiming to create more choice and price competition for Canadians. This is really a topic that's not spoken of frequently. Canada has one of the most guarded monopolies when it comes to telecommunications and phone prices. We pay some of the highest costs in the world when it comes to data and text and voice. And honestly, I think this comes all down to the fact that our government guards a handful of companies that they see as being advantageous to their own interests. There are monopolies in multiple different industries, but when it comes to telecommunications, it is a huge problem because everybody in the modern world needs a cell phone. They need to be tapped in. Although our government has pledged Lindsay to lower cell phone costs in Canada, how do our country's phone plans actually compare to the rest of the world? Yeah, a lot of Canadians do know that we pay among the highest rates in the world for cell service, and we don't even have the best service in the world. There was an analysis done by cable.co.uk 
They analyzed the average cost of one gig of mobile data for 237 countries. Canada was among the lowest countries, so we were ranked 216th. Uh, we pay on average $5.37 US dollars per one gig of data. But for example, in Israel, um, at the top of the leaderboard, they pay only two cents per one gig of data. Uh, however, if you look at somewhere like Zimbabwe, they pay $43.75 per gig. You're right, Lindsay, and we don't actually have the fastest internet in the world. We're actually lacking when it comes to internet speed as well as cost. So what can Canadians do to get a better deal? Well, Cosman, sometimes I wonder whatever happened to loyalty discounts or some sort of perk for being loyal to a company. Because when I think about it, I've been with my cell phone service provider for over 10 years or just about a decade now. And what do I have to show for it? Nothing really, because uh, usually like over the past decade, my phone like clockwork breaks down every two years because I have these androids, right? And it's planned obsolescence. The phones aren't meant to last forever. They're supposed to break. Um, so you buy new ones. And so every time I would get a new phone, the cost would go up. Um, but yeah, I, you know, if you want that bill lowered, you know, you should probably call in a favor and you should point out your loyalty. Or what happened with me was I, I had accidentally, I think, left a movie playing on data on my phone while I was in a different country. And so I racked up this major phone bill and I kind of just called the provider and I was like, hey, I'm so sorry about this. Can you please remove it? And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, no problem. And let's take 10 bucks off your bill for the next year uh, as some sort of loyalty discount. And I was like, okay. So I think, yeah, you do need to call in. Um, so that would be my advice is call in and um, try, just point out your loyalty or point out a reason why you deserve a discount. It's the same thing with my bank, right? I've been with my bank I think since I was a baby, because my mom set it up for me. So that's uh, over two decades, almost three decades of being with one bank. And what kind of loyalty perk do I have to show for it? Uh, nothing. Alberta has had enough of the federal environment minister. Premier Danielle Smith said in an interview with CTV that her government simply can't work with Minister Stephen Guibault whom she accused of continued, quote, defiance and disrespect of the provinces. Smith's comments reflect a growing tension between provincial and federal approaches to environmental policy and energy strategy, namely the federal government's ambitious target of achieving a net-zero power grid by 2035. In a conversation last month with CTV, Guibault expressed confidence in the federal government's environmental strategy, saying that they have a shot at achieving their goals by maintaining their current course. The Supreme Court had previously deemed Guibault's Impact Assessment Act, which outlines the process for evaluating major projects' environmental, social, and economic impacts, unconstitutional. In a statement to the Senate in November, Guibault said he has no plans to resign, regardless of any potential future modifications to the federal government's carbon pricing plan. Cosman, allow me to remind our listeners here that this is the same guy, Stephen Guibault, that got arrested for scaling the CN Tower in the name of fighting climate change. So what's the likelihood of Trudeau taking the climate change file away from Guibault? As far as uh, federal ministers go, I think Guibault is unlikable, detestable, and most Canadians have tired of him. 
And I'm talking about only from a character perspective. He has entered these discussions with the provinces from a position of superiority. He does not talk to provinces as if they are equals, especially the premiers. It's either do this or do that, or you will face consequences. There are threats, there are legal challenges, and there are personal attacks that are all coming from the federal government. If the liberals are truly committed to the environment and the climate cause, this is not the correct approach. Collaboration, friendship would be the right path to take. But that's not the case here. And I think for the first time since Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was elected in 2015, the liberal government has really lost on the environmental issue. They have turned every province in this country into a skeptic about their environmental policy. And it's quite simply because Trudeau decided to politicize the carbon tax by giving exemptions to potential voters in Atlantic Canada. So the federal government has talked a big game about collaboration and, you know, working with the provinces, but as a voter, as a citizen of this country, I just simply don't see it. Despite garnering praise from a senior Hamas spokesperson, Canada's foreign policy is of little significance to the Middle East, a new Israeli survey finds. According to a recent Israeli opinion poll, Russia's Vladimir Putin and U.S. President Joe Biden incredibly entered top places as those most influencing politics in the Middle East in 2023. Researchers compiled a list of global political leaders, especially those most prominent in the Israeli media space after the October 7th Hamas attack against the country, after which researchers enlisted Israeli political analysts, journalists, and rabbis to assess the significance of each figure on Middle Eastern politics. In terms of the question of most influencing Middle East policy, U.S. President Joe Biden received nearly twice as many votes as Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who edged out Putin by a small margin. Among the list of politicians, the ones most cited as interested in the Hamas-Israel war continuing are Biden, who was at 45.3%, Netanyahu at 30.2%, Putin at 19.9%, and Mohammed bin Salman al-Saud at 17.7%, say those surveyed. The question regarding which leaders' policies contribute to peace in the Middle East pose the most challenging for respondents. One third of respondents were unable to answer. President Biden at 42.7% again received nearly double the support of Netanyahu at 25.3% with Putin at 20.4% in third place. I've always thought with this government that the area in which they were least capable was foreign policy. At one point, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau promised to bring Canada back on the world stage. And in a way he did, but I don't think it's for the right 
reasons Canada has lost influence globally. Our foreign policy decisions have been questionable. So, Lindsay, I would ask you, do you think people outside of Canada view Trudeau and his government as a joke? I think Canada's reputation is that immigration-wise, we're just kind of a dumping ground. Like, we'll take anyone and everyone. Cousin, Trudeau lacks authority on the global stage. And when you talk to people who travel outside of this country, they'll often come back and say, you know, Canada to other people is just an afterthought. And we're not considered a major player. Back in October, there was this joint statement that was issued from other G7 leaders that was condemning the Hamas attacks on Israel. And it was signed by the US president, British prime minister, French president, German chancellor, and Italian prime minister. And we kind of learned about this thing called the Quint. So it was, you know, these G7 leaders, but the people left out were the Japanese and the Canadian. The ones who were left out were Japan and Canada. Japan released a statement saying that they didn't want to sign on to that open letter along with the other G7 leaders, but Canada never answered why they didn't sign it. So it's possible that we were left out or we don't really know what the story is, but I guess one aspect of it is this thing called the Quint kind of came out of nowhere back in October, um, which, yeah, I mean, Canada is excluded from this group of G7 leaders because they want to be the most important five. That's it for today, folks. Make sure to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. Also, please keep an eye out for The Andrew Lawton Show later today and ratioed with Harrison Faulkner. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to share our work with your friends and neighbors. And if able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news. Thank you.